Hi there, everybody, and welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. Thanks very much. Just a quick intro to this podcast. Blakey from Golf Rules Questions, and of course, Blakey applies his golf rules knowledge on the Live Tour. He's about an hour and a half in the door after getting back from London, where he's just spent the last two weeks on the road at Live Golf Andalusia and Live Golf London. I've grabbed him to get an update on all of the things that he was involved with. Of course, there were some real scenarios that played out, especially uh, in regards to slow play over there at Live Andalusia. He's got to take us through all of that. So you might get some insight into the world of refereeing at uh, tournament level from Blakey. Two episodes this week. We've got this one today. And then tomorrow when you get up, there'll be another one in your inbox or wherever you get your download, your podcast with the preview of this week's very exciting Scottish Open, which I'm very passionate about. So two episodes, just trying to bring more podcasts and just keep it all rolling out. Thanks for tuning in. And here's Blakey from Live Golf and Golf Rules Questions. Uh, Blakey, Golf Rules Questions, welcome back to Australia. You've had uh, a couple of weeks on the road. Of course, we all know you as uh, the chief uh, content creator, the, the brains behind the great Australian Instagram rules, YouTube, and just rules information uh, service that you provide the globe. Um, but you are Australia's ambassador to uh, the rules world of golf on tour uh, with the Live Golf Tour. Um, and you've just come back from, obviously, the two weeks on the road at uh, Live Golf Andalusia and uh, Live Golf London. So I thought, seeing that you're an hour and a half off a 27-hour uh, plane journey, you'd want nothing more than to uh, jump on and catch up and give us a quick rundown of your last couple of weeks on the road, the sightseeing, uh, but more importantly, uh, your insights into some of the golf we haven't really reviewed too much of the Live Golf stuff on the podcast, so we might just push this out as an episode. Um, a couple of things happened. There's plenty of stuff happening in Live Golf as the world continues to know. So uh, if there's anything there that you want to talk about, but um, yeah, let's just uh, catch up and yeah, let us know how was it over there in Spain? Beautiful part of the world. The Aldorama looks amazing. Obviously, world top 100 course. Um, how was it for you, mate? Yeah, fantastic, Ross. Um, yeah, pretty tired now, but. Uh... Thought I'd uh, catch up on the podcast, the model of, of golf podcast with my old friend, Ross Flanagan. That's me. And uh, give you some insights, um, if, if I have any insights. Uh, but no, I really um, enjoyed being over at Valderrama. Um, it was the second time I've ever been there, first time refereeing, obviously. Uh, it looked bloody hard, and it was very hard for the players to play. Uh we didn't set the whole locations too difficult. I know the um, course weren't looking for their course to, or, you know, the, the club management weren't looking for the course to play too easy or play like, look like it was playing too easy. Um, they were hoping for more like six under. The winning score was 12 under from uh, Taylor Gooch. Um, but, you know, the live golf is all about entertainment and you can't just be entertaining people just with making up and down paths. Um, that's a US Open type thing if they want to go down that path. We're all about, you know, good shots, good putts, um, lots of good, fun golf. You don't want to make it a shootout. You don't want to make it 21 or 24 under for three rounds uh, where it just comes down to who's the best putter. But, uh, you know, so 12 under was, was very good, exactly what we sort of wanted. Looks like the greens were running fairly slick from uh, the bits of the tournament that I caught. Uh, is that the case? What were they running at? What did you have them set at? Yeah, they were. Well, we were hoping for around 12, um, but the the greenkeeper 
and superintendent um, got them up to about 13. So it sort of limited the amount of hole locations that we could tuck away, uh, especially on that 14th hole, which I had the pleasure of watching for most of the tournament. Uh, that 14th hole, very slopey um, back to front. And, uh, you know, players were hitting it back there with spin and bring it back off the green type thing. Was that the par um, three? But, uh, yeah, the stint meter. No, it's a par four. It's the short par four up the hill okay. and then the par threes after that. So, uh, yeah, so they were running about 13, um, but we kept our whole locations uh, fairly subdued. And as I said, 12 under was exactly what we were looking for. Is that normal that the refereeing team in any tournament sets the whole locations or is it a is it is that just because it's live and you know there's not as many you know set up type people around i i don't know you know like is the open are the referees doing the pins at the open for example or the australian open from your experience what is it different or the same uh so on the pga tour uh they would have their set up play uh set up team um who are part of the referees uh, that is our job is to set up the golf course. Uh, so that's, that's what we do in the Australian open. Um, most of the time it's, uh, someone from the Australian PGA, uh, or, uh, you know, the, uh, the PGA tour of Australasia. Um, uh, but recently I think it's mainly been like Trevor Hurden. He likes doing the Australian open. Uh, but say for the, Australian PGA Championship, uh, you'd have two people. One person does the front nine, one person does the, the back nine staff members of the um, PGA Tour of Australasia. Uh, European Tour is the same. They're, they're staff members, their referee staff members are the ones that set up the front and back nine. Uh, if it was the Open Championship I would, th or the US Open, I would think that it would actually be staff from USGA or the RNA that, that look after that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, but uh, you guys Augusta, are... Yeah. Augusta, Augusta, you can just have, you know, they know exactly what their whole locations are yeah. every year anyway, so yeah. don't do much there. But you guys are in the thick of it there and uh, setting all that up, so, and you're taking into account by the sounds, you know, play that uh, rewards good shots and uh, play that allows, you know, the better players to, you know, be tempted to, you know, go at pins and stuff like that, so it makes it... Uh, a spectacle is that sort of the theory that I'm sort of picking up? Yeah, exactly right. You know, we look at the weather as well because um, we don't we don't want to ruin or we don't want to lose the tournament um, to bad weather. So yeah, we we look at that stuff as well. So um, there's heaps of heaps of things that are taken into account when you're putting a whole location in. Also, when you're setting up the tee markers, you know, how long you want the, the actual hole to be. Uh, that's all done by the refereeing team. Uh, just on Valderrama, as I mentioned there at the start, you know, top 100 course, it's a, sort of one of the more recognisable, you know, top 100 venues in Spain. Um, there's plenty of golf down that part of the world, that uh, Malaga coast and the, the Algarve, which is just not too far away, but not the same location. Um, not that I know that area well. I've only been as far south as Seville, which is near Cadiz. Um, 
so never quite down there. But there's plenty of golf, plenty of resort golf. But I think Valderrama stands out as the premier tournament venue, and obviously it's got a long history with the the DP World Tour. Uh, obviously, Ryder Cup we've spoken about. Um, so it's it's a bit of a, got some quirk about it. You know, these cork trees are definitely are cork trees. Um, hanging out, covering the entrances to some of the greens. There's a couple of holes where a cork tree is right in the middle of the fairway, which is a bit unique and a bit interesting. Um, what are the players that hadn't seen it there? Is there any, do you pick up on anything, you know, when you're out there listening to them chitter chatter as they're walking and playing some of these difficult shots when you're sitting in your buggy waiting for a rules uh, scenario to uh, unfold? Uh, I did hear a bit of chatter after the first day. A couple of players didn't play that well and they said, oh, this is so hard. I hope we're not coming back here. And then the next day, one of those players shot eight under and he said, he changed his mind in the scoring hut that day and said, no, no, I love it here. I'll come back. So <laughs> sometimes you, sometimes you've got to take players' comments with a grain of salt because they really, you know, the well, high well, drama and... Special. Well, yeah, and, us, uh, all, us, all us golfers are special divas. people, right? Yeah, we're special. We're special. That's right. They're, 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 they're divas. So, uh, you know, you can't really... And we have we have we see it all the time, you know, the players are trying to tell us how to set the course up. You go, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll we'll think about that. And then, I mean, if you know, if I want your opinion, I'll ask for it rather than you tell me it. Uh, because you know, it's all well and good for someone to just come along and say, oh, you should do this or this and this. And it's like you know, they don't even know that ten other people said, no, definitely don't do that. Mm. You know, so you, as you said, as I said, you just got to take it with a grain of salt. Well, it was like that scenario that we spoke about before when uh, at Adelaide when we were driving around and uh, Jed Morgan's, one of his team, sort of pulled you aside and said, hey, Blakey, you know, go back to this back of 10th round the back there and have a look at that runoff area because, you know, that cut turf is no good. You need to take that out of play. Like he was very, very adamant about it. And then when we get round there and we go and have a look, you know, you've got Bubba Watson, Harold Varner and uh, whoever else was there and you called them over and says, well, show me, to, you know, just, you didn't really guide them too much, but you said, show me what's going on here. And they've just put some balls down. They're going, yeah, it's all right. As long as it doesn't get on the crack there and that's fine. We can, we can handle that. So, you know, there's two different examples of exactly what you just uh, said there. How, you know, these guys sometimes see it or sometimes don't see it. Hmm. Interesting. What about the, yeah. what about the, you know, the tournament venue has got, a, as I said, steeped history in uh, tournament golf. You know, it was talked about that they were very keen to partner with Liv um, based on getting, handful of the world's best players top level players down there consistently but with that five-year partnership they've got with the andalithia region so you know andalithia is a is a region so it's much like the the hunter valley or visit victoria or you know maiden himaland um you know it's a it's a it's a region and that region is responsible for you know tourism into that area so that whole partnership is around bringing people down into uh the andalithia um region um what was what's the area area like you know did you get out and do a bit of exploring uh, i'd love to say yes but no we stayed in estepona at a nice little um, hotel there called alba and we looked out over the mediterranean and it was it's reasonably flat nearly every day uh but the 28 29 degrees 31 degrees it was beautiful to be there uh you know the drive down from malaga airport was you know, reasonable, and you had the coastline and and what whatnot, and you can see um, the rock of Gibraltar in the background. 
but uh, we we didn't venture out too much other than uh, going for some dinner spots, um, you know. And but mainly we just focused on getting the golf uh, underway and and going and have a great tournament, that type of thing. Uh, I think our tea time started at one o'clock every day, and the the vibe with the. Well, you said something. Some of the players sort of loved and, and hated in the same same breath. But uh, you know, general the tone with the players. You know, it was the first time that they'd sort of come together since the, uh, the announcement. Was it the first time they'd come together since the announcement of, of the? Yeah. So you know, what was the tone in an uh, amongst the uh, the compound, so to speak? And when I say compound, you know, you've got your referees compound, you've got the media compound over the other end. You know, the players in there mingling around. You've got all the staff from uh, Live Performance Fifty Four and all those people. What was the the tone? What was the vibe like? Yeah, very excited. Uh, obviously, there is a little bit of apprehension as to what's going to happen, but then Greg Norman and uh, His Excellency turned up during the tournament. And they were reassuring the players that, you know, this thing's going to keep going. It's got legs. Whatever comes out in the media, you know, you also got to take that with a grain of salt. It seems they're going to be bullish. They're going to be headstrong about it. You know, they've got a fantastic product. Um, but the Live Golf product is showing that, you know, we can get younger people into viewership and that kind of thing. And uh, it's it's just you know, even London, London was twice as big as it was last year or three times as big as it was last year. So people are really enjoying going to it and coming back and, you know, there's the added music and stuff like that, but just five hours of golf, the crowd's younger, there's more women. Uh, we'll, we'll talk what, about London. not to say, yes, this is working. We'll talk about London in a minute. Let's finish on um, uh, Valderrama. So we had uh, Taylor Gooch that won, of course, uh, Torquay GC, uh, finished uh, first in the team's event. Their combined score on the last day, their round three score was minus eight. So we had Sebastian Munoz at 68, Wahine Neiman at 68 and David Pooch on 69. Uh, and the Range Goats, uh, minus 11. So Taylor Gooch, Harold Varner and Tommy Peters. Harold Varner and Tommy Peters didn't help the course so much on the last day. It was 72 and 73. Um, Bryson, the Crushers, um, Bryson... Had a good showing. It was good to see Bryson playing better golf and, and you know, he seems to be trending in the right direction. It'd be really interesting to see how he goes in the uh, the Open. Um, yeah, so Taylor Gooch continues actually what's third win. He's uh, he's become become a bit of a live specialist. Uh, he's playing really well. Interesting to see what happens. Um, now, there was one thing that happened which was a bit of an anomaly a bit of a standout something different uh in in terms of golf not just live golf but uh but you mate um uh you mate from the cliques you mate from the cliques uh what's his name what's he what's richard that guy bland. richard bland richard bland copped a time penalty copped a one stroke time penalty uh i was sitting back uh watching that and i saw it happen uh, I didn't watch too much more after that, but I developed my own thoughts, so to speak, David, on who might have been involved. But you know, your official line is it was a team, uh, the team, the rules official, the uh, refereeing team was a team effort. Team, well, how, how do you actually describe Richard Bland got a time penalty for slow play. It's like the third time in the history of the men's professional golf that someone's actually copped a time penalty and you're part of the team, Blakey. Discuss. Yeah, well, 
it's actually quite hard to get a time penalty. You've actually got to be really slow, uh, which this player was. First of all, your group has to be out of position. And, you know, if you've got a Brooks Kepka or a Chikara, a Eugenio Chikara, Danny Lee, Matt Jones, Pat Perez, it's very difficult for your group to be out of position. They are fast players. They are aware of when it's their turn to play and they get on with it. Uh, so if Richard had been playing with one of them, the group probably would have never been out of position. Unfortunately, uh, the group that uh, Richard was playing with, Sergio Garcia and Dean Burmester, uh, for whatever reason, they were out of position. They were, you know, instead of a hole in front because it's the shotgun start, every group starts basically with a hole in front. Some two groups start with two holes in front. Uh, then if you have any, if the, if the gap widens to a hole and a half or two holes, three holes, you know, you're out of position. We also have this time par because you, you could be a hole and a half out of position, but the group in front could be minus 25 to time par. And so you're not actually out of position yourself at all. So uh, we have two mechanisms to work out whether you're out of position. Um, this group was out of position. They were plus seven, I think. And then we gave them the warning and no, they were plus five. And then we gave them the warning of you're out of position. You need to catch up. And they got worse. They got to plus seven and plus eight. So they got uh, the team member from the, from the referees team started timing them. Now, when you are being timed, you have 40 seconds to play your shot. That 40 seconds includes putting on your glove, selecting your club, um, determining where you're going to hit the ball using your yardage book. You know, we give, do we do give a little bit of time just for them to zap their range finder, which shouldn't take more than five or six seconds. Uh, but then taking that processing, that calculation with what your yardage book says, that's all part of that 40 seconds. The first to play on uh, does get an extra 10 seconds. So first to play on the tee, 10 seconds. First to play on the fairway, 10 seconds. First to play on the green, 10 seconds. Uh, and the referee will work that out. Now, uh, Richard, as the evidence shows um, from the, the video, uh, Richard arrived at the tee. Um, a minute and 50 seconds later, he hit his shot, uh, but he was afforded 25 seconds to um, catch his breath and fire the range fighter, finder at the flag. So after that, he took 84 seconds to hit his shot, which is 34 more seconds than what he was uh, should have taken. And thus, he was given a bad time. Now, the bad time or the pace of play policy for live golf, uh, your first bad time, it's a one-shot penalty. There's a lot of tours out there that your first bad time is a warning and your second bad time is a one-shot penalty. Uh, that's not the case on the Live Tour. It's first bad time, one shot penalty, and you know there were there are people there are a few people that thought it was uh, Richard was hard done by Richard himself. Didn't think it was it was great. Uh, there were a lot of people out there that thought this is good. We're moving in the right direction of what is 
an entertainment product and it's not entertaining watching someone walking around the tea. We want to see shots, 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 just like that song. I don't know that song, David, but I do know that we, I want to see uh, fast play and I don't want to see people taking undue amounts of time to play their golf because it's not live live golf specific. You know, it happens in all forms of tournament golf. You know, we saw in the Women's Open on the weekend, uh, Alison Corpus, you know, was a, a, a one penalty, one minute away from getting a, a penalty uh, slapped onto her. So, to, so I was it was uh, reported. Um, so no one wants to see time poor, bad time, um, slow play. Uh, whether that's professional golf as an entertainment package on TV or whether it's club golf on the weekend, you know, I know how difficult it is to play and just keep your momentum and your concentration up when you're stuck behind or in the mix of a, a field which is struggling due to slow play. And many times that can just be one player in one group or a couple of players or just a group that just doesn't have that awareness Um how to keep and how to maintain the pace of play. Um, you know, I played a course which has had to institute, you know, two ranges uh, on each course to try and keep fields from playing within under five hours. You know, it should be four hours, 15, four hours, but, you know, four hours, 15, four hours, 20, sort of, you know, that's that's sort of okay. But when a Saturday comp and a Wednesday comp's at five hours, it's just way too long. You're spending too much time twiddling your thumbs in between shots. So, you know, if the professional game is the benchmark of what we need to 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 look towards in many respects of setting the example, sportsmanship, conduct, etiquette, etc. many times that doesn't happen. But, um, you know, you, you've taken a stand. Your team has taken a stand. As I said, and I sort of joked, it's one of maybe three or four instances in the game that's it's ever happened. So I can see why a lot of people have supported you. Um, Richard Bland, what did he say? You know, you mentioned there he wasn't that happy, but what what was his feedback? Was it uh, accepting, polite, courteous, or was it not really? No, no, it was not. It was not none of that at all. Uh, it was actually quite miserable about it. I mean, it was clearly his fault. <laughs> it's, it's so objective. It's like you put the cl- the clock on the clock. When, when he hits, the clock goes off and 84 seconds later, um, Pen- you've breached penalty. the policy, there's a penalty. Now, were you timing all uh, the players in the know, group? Was, was were all in that group? I, that's- I was. Yeah. You can target time, but uh, I didn't have any evidence that there was one or two players that were main the main culprits. Um, so I just timed everyone and you know we we didn't lose up uh, we didn't make up much time we actually lost some time then that one stroke penalty came out and they made up seven minutes in the next two holes so it worked yeah and did did their play unduly suffer maybe maybe Richard's it I don't know I don't know his score what happened after that but um so question is you know when they're getting timed no, does no the it, the answer is no the 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 answer to that is no that their score does not suffer. Yeah, uh, he he did make uh, a bogey on the hole that um, he got the time to- the the penalty the one stroke penalty which turned into a double bogey. Uh, but the next hole um, he held a thirty one foot putt for a birdie. 
and they were still on the still being timed when they are being timed uh, so the way that you are set up you know you've got a referee in in each different section of the course you know a couple of holes or three holes um and then a couple of roving referees so to speak um uh so when they start being timed you know so you're in radio comms with the other referee saying hey we're timing this group and is there some sort of process of communication to say you know this is their time now this is where they should be and so on and so forth or you've just got it in your notes there yeah, where they should be absolutely at every... how do, so how does it work so we have a we have this um time par sheet that tells us um you know a chart that has the the hole that they they should be finished the time they should be finished at that hole and whilst other tours start at hole one and ten and it's a little bit easier to create that sheet we have people staying all over the course and then we have this uh um this document that shows us what their time should be and then further to that uh, we've got some software guys that have actually created an app um that gives us exactly that and does it automatically with all the scoring volunteers pushing the button when the hole has actually finished so we can uh, it just comes up in you know black and white or in this case if you're out of position it comes up in red and then we um certainly so show some attention to that group or groups that are out of position are they the guys when you talk about those volunteers you know that have have the iPads at the back of every hole and they're sort of like plotting the distances from hole and, the, and they're just clicking every time they hole it and sort of that proximity to hole. Yeah. Okay. So that part of that. Yep. So group. The, we've got those guys. Yep. Yep. And then we've got the walking scorer um, people that go and actually make sure that the score is accurate. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, how is uh, Richard Bland's time keeping in the week after in London? Well, someone said that he'd sped up, but I didn't see that at all. Um, Paul, in the last day, I probably paid more attention to it on the last day. Uh, Paul Casey pulled out, retired uh, in round three, and then so Richard Bland was left with him and Brandon Grace, I think, and I saw him take another 90 seconds um, to play one of his shots. So... You know, were they out of position? No, they were a two ball. So they never, you know, I shouldn't say never, but there was highly unlikely that they were going to uh, be out of position. And so <laughs> this is the thing. You can actually take, you know, if you and I are playing together, Ross, and we're quick players and after two holes, we're minus eight in terms of time par. So we're eight minutes under where we are allowed to be. Then the next hole, we could basically stand on the tee four minutes each of us, right, and then and then hit our shots after the four minutes, and then play the hole, and would you know would now be maybe square or equal with time par. So we're not saying that you can't take three minutes to play a shot. We we hate it; it looks ugly on for the product. But if you've banked your time effectively you can um you can look after it if you've got a difficult shot down the road but yeah. the other way where you lose time you know the first couple of holes you take three minutes on every shot and you lose time now we're, you're going to be chasing your tail we're going to be chasing you because the 
group behind are annoyed at how slow you're playing. Um, and, and that's what I said at the start. If you've got, you know, if you're a slow player that plays with two of the faster players, um, you will probably be afforded more time um, because they've banked it for you. Okay. So if you're in a time group and you're a faster player, but you're in a time group because there's two players playing with you that are slow, you're timing every player's shot and you're going, no, you know, you're under 40 seconds, so you're good. And then you're just targeting who are the players that are causing the slow play because you can see, you know, do you have to follow that group for a, you know, does the, do you have to time that group over a multiple of shots to work out that, you know, Sergio, maybe that's not the right example, but I'm just pulling a name. You know, Sergio's hitting all his shots that's within the time. <laughs> it's a bad, is that a bad example? No, that's a good example. Is Sergio of, quick or slow? Of someone who takes too, too long. Slow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So who's a quick player? Oh, to, just for the sake of the discussion, who's a quick player? Brooks. Um, Brooks Kipps. Yeah, Brooks. Brooks, Brooks exactly. Kipp. That's a no-brainer. We should have known, I should have known that. should have used that as, at the start. So, you're ty- you, so you, know, you, you for the sake of the exercise, you time Brooks and go, right, Brooks is 35 seconds every shot. This group's three minutes behind time par. So it's not him. So I don't have to worry about him. And then you start start timing the shot making of the other two players in the group and to identify if there is someone that is consistently over the time or just one minute, one time over the time and that's so, it done. So if, if, if they're out of position, all we're wanting to do is get them back into position. Yep. So, um, if we're, and there's a couple of reasons, a couple of um, ways you can get yourself back into position. You either run between shots and speed up in, uh, the time it takes to get to the ball and then shorten the time it actually t- takes to play the hole. Or you can pl- you know, you take your preparation and your swinging of, of the club to hit the ball. You can shorten that down, and then you're going to make up time that way. Um, I will time all the team members, unless, unless I just know that it's not going. There's certain players just not, you know, they're not going to be... Um, the ones that are causing the issue, and I, but I will time everyone, and you'll you'll see that. Uh, I mean, there are some players that once you put them on the clock, they will speed up, um, and and there are a few players like that. Uh, you know, so we just we probably pay a bit more attention to them. Um, at the start, trying to make sure we get onto them early so they don't lose time that we, you know, damage control that we can't fix. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, we're timing all the players and then we just see the times that the players are taking and if there's a bad time, we go and tell them that they've had a bad time and they have to add a penalty to their score. Ouch. Okay. Um well, as you said, you were part of the team. It was the the referee's team that made the decision. I'm pretty confident I know who which referee was involved. You might have let it slip out there earlier. Um but it's I think it was pretty well received in the in the greater world, you know, when you think about what Brooks has, has said, you know, I think I should I think we should put penalties on. Tigers even noted as having said that. There's probably other golfers that have said it. Um you know, was there any any feedback from the players to the referees group that were pro 
the time penalty that said, you know, good on you guys for doing that? Or was there any feedback in general from the, from the organization? Uh, yeah, there was good feedback from certainly from a lot of the faster players uh, that were keen and they didn't think that we had the balls to do it. And uh, well, I mean, the policy is what the policy is. We, we're just going yeah. by the policy. You know, rules are rules. Without rules, there is chaos. <laughs> so it was pretty easy for that from that point of view. Um, and the evidence came out, the video there. And again, like, you know, not every shot is getting timed and we kind of don't want that to happen. It's an entertainment product, right? We have to get you finished within the five hours. Uh, so you definitely don't want a group to, you know, be 15 minutes over time path. So our time path, I should have said this from the start, is usually around four hours 30. It might be four hours 25, might be four hours 35, depending on the length of the course. But it's, it's four hours 30. That's what we want to play within. You know, on we'll get to London, but as an example, Chikara uh, played with Brooks on the second day, Saturday, in London. And they're two fast players, and I can't quite remember who the third player was, but they finished minus 42. So they finished in three hours and 48 minutes, and they would have got held up. Um, so they probably yeah. could have, the three of them could have pl probably played in three hours 30. Now, do we want it three hours 30? It probably is a bit short. We're not going to go and tell them to slow down. I'd, I'd never do that. But it's it's probably a bit short. Between four hours and four hours 30 is really our perfect entertainment vehicle. Uh, anything over four hours 30 is, is a joke. So that's why as referees, that's our job is to make sure. And, you know, 90% of our job is pace of play. So, uh, you know, we do you do rulings uh, to get them accurate and there's millions of dollars on the line, yes, but you do them because the players are talking for five minutes trying to work out how to do a ruling. You come in and you do it for 15 seconds, so you're saving time there. That's why we you know, we do rulings and stuff. It's mainly for pace of play. Uh, out of interest, do you know uh, what sort of time to par, time par that uh, the um, Cameron Smith group was on on uh, Sunday at um, Centurion? Uh, they were, yes, they were, they were getting held up by the group in front a little bit, uh, but they were uh, for the first front nine. They were about minus three, and then they got held up a bit more by the group in front, and they, I think they ended up about plus four or five. Because the reason the reason I ask I mean, is Thomas Pete Thomas Peters is, is a fast player. Um, I was going to say the reason I ask is because you know you see. Uh, all the attention obviously is on Cam Smith because he's going to win the individual. Uh, and obviously they had that, um, you know, if he gets that putt, they go into this first ever team playoff, uh, which is obviously time, another time issue for the broadcast and all that sort of stuff. But Cam is making that putt on the his last hole and there's a whole stack of players around the green. Now, you usually see that sort of thing in a normal PGA Tour event when all the players have staggered and I'm not, you know, starting at different times. But these guys have all teed off exactly as at one o'clock when the shotgun goes off, but yet a good chunk of them were made enough time to finish their round, do the scoring, maybe do a flash interview or something post round and then get to the green there for the, um, the final, uh, the win. So 
it's it was interesting to see those players gathered there because I my perception would have been that they're they're all just like a yeah you know, like at a at a um Ambrose event at your golf club at a charity day you know everyone's walking back up the fairway at the same time um so there must be clearly some very very fast players and some very very slow yeah there's obviously some players that don't you know their score isn't going to feature in the top 24 or whatever you know that they or they're just fast players and uh, I know group 14 15 16 or maybe not 14 they're a bit slow 13 15 16 finished in minus 20 so you know four hours 10 they had time you know they got picked up by the the cars and driven back to the scoring score recording area and you know by the time they finished their scores, they were able to walk out and watch Cam miss that putt. Mm. Um, so may as well just have a quick look at uh, how that all finished. Obviously, Cam Smith uh, missed that putt. You used the words missed that putt because that's not something that he really did uh, pretty much all weekend until the, that final hole. Um, his putting was absolutely phenomenal uh, until until that little part where he just let it slide by the, the bottom side of the hole, which probably surprised everyone. But um, it let uh, the four aces pick up another team victory. Patrick Reed, Pat Perez, Dustin Johnson, uh, with the scores that counted on the final day. Pat Perez, as as, as you um, as you alluded to, you know he's a player that can go low, he can he can go high, but he's he's streaky and can you know really contribute to that sort of three score team environment. And then we had uh, the Ripper GC. We were all hoping back here in Australia that um, they were going to make up for our Ashes loss, uh, which news of which would have come through as they were playing. Um, Leash and Cam, very passionate sports, Australian sports fans. Um, I hope they didn't hear and I hope it didn't put them off. But uh, no, 66 from Leash, 68 from Cam Smith. And, and uh, Jed Morgan contributed on the last day with a 69, which is good for Jed because, you know, he's... Yeah. Struggled a bit. Struggle? Is he struggling? Struggled? Struggling? You know, he looks like he's having a great time. He always looks very happy out there on course, and he's, you know, playing with some of the best players that he's probably, you know, grew up admiring to, to be like. Um, and it was good to see him contribute on the last day, but he's, he's hasn't really been playing that well, has he? No, he's definitely struggled. His best feat finishes seventeenth uh, this year, which was at. Uh, in Singapore, seven eight. So you know you you're definitely not making the top twenty four, and he's very close to the bottom four relegation. So um, it's it's not looking good for him. He you know it would have been an amazing story in the fact that the Ripper only got to minus thirty uh, thirty three four. 33. Well, they got to minus 34, right, um, with the help of Jed holding out on the 10th hole. I mean, it, was, yeah. it wasn't it was minus 34 at the time that he yeah. holed out. But gotcha. he holed out on the, on, the, on the 10th and for an eagle, and that was a tough uh, hole location there. And then he, he made a good up and down on 11, and then he made an amazing up and down on 12. He actually hit his tee shot a little bit left, into the thick rough, but somehow, and I watched it, it wasn't any Australians kicking it out. Somehow it's bounced out onto the rough. He's headed over the back of the 12th, and 12 was playing one of the hardest holes on the course. Over the back, had this really tough, tricky little chip that went down fast down the hill, managed to just keep it on top of the 
top tier and then hold that 15 footer to for them to have this chance of getting into the playoff and then um cam smith who has played the best all week ended up he said he had a great putt but it wasn't the putting that i was worried about when he missed on 18 it was the fact that he was in the middle of the fairway and hit it in the bunker yeah, from Mr. Green, with yeah. his third shot i i could not believe i was you know it it's that green slopes around left to right so you just hit it on the left fat left part and it'll just slope around i could not believe he hit it in the bunker uh well you know he's not infallible but he's he's look forms looks form looks great uh going into the open next week um likelihood that he defends who knows it's not uh history would show that uh it's a very hard title to defend i'm not sure if it's ever actually ever been done in the Modern era, two back-to-back uh, open winners. Do you know that from your uh, Pod- savant? Well, what years did Padre win? Yeah, I can't remember. I was relying on your savant-like knowledge. It's not something that I prepared for. Well, um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not one of those uh, ones that remembers um, winners of golf tournaments. Hey, um, but what was the vibe like in London on the the um, the broadcast? It looked like the almost Adelaide sort of like in terms of the uh, people around the place. Um, it looked pretty good. You know, they had the DJ, you know, much similar to the Fisher sort of gig there at the end there, which is you know, an important part of the, the live mix, uh, having that entertainment afterwards. As again, some people would say, I just want to go for the golf. I'm not there for all the, all, all of the after parties and shoeys and whatever else. But um, clearly the amount of people that come buy a ticket, watch the golf and then stay, it's like a festival atmosphere. Um, so was it you were there on the ground? Was it Adelaide like, or in terms of numbers and people? Uh, London, yeah, it was very similar. It wasn't probably wasn't as much as um, Adelaide. Adelaide is special because it's right in the middle of the city, whereas Centurion is just a little bit further out. Uh, but the atmosphere was was pretty awesome. Um, they had two DJs, one on the Friday, one on the Saturday. So yeah, just as you said, like Fisher, some other bloke called Alesso. I'm not really up to date with my whole DJ world, so don't know these people. Uh, but they entertained the crowd uh, each night, and you know some people just bought tickets just for the show, so they didn't weren't even worried about coming to watch the golf. But that was fine. Uh, they've got their merch tents and you know that kind of thing for live golf and all the teams almost down pat they get sold out um, by the end of the three days so you know that they're they're doing well they've they've got a really good um, product that they're selling and, and going with and the Centurion Club was probably a little bit tougher for people to walk around because you got to walk all the way out to the whole ten and walk all the way back in. Mm. Uh, but no, for for all reports, the the weather was fantastic, and uh, and people who had never even been to a golf tournament before came and enjoyed it. They loved it, so I'm sure they'll be back next year. Well, anecdotally, there was a lot of younger people um, that had been reported to attend. Uh, the, so much more percentage of children, and uh, the demographic was quite young. So, you know, if that's a KPI, I don't know if it is of the uh, the model. Um, you know, they certainly uh, hit that. But it was good to see, I guess, like any new product, 
as I've had this discussion with other people along the journey, when people have wanted to say, oh, it's not working, um, you know, you launch a new brand, launch a new product, it doesn't take off instantaneously in many, many circumstances. Some Obviously, some hits and misses and whatever, but it takes time to build, build a brand. And if that's one indication, I'm sure they're looking for many more indications, but that's certainly one indication of uh, 12 months later uh, and several tournaments in between that um, – that demographic, that market has certainly would appear to have um, been more supportive. So that's a positive, positive outtake. And, and again, you see, uh, you know, I've got my Majestics hoodie on, but you see the Majestics have signed that uh, deal with the the um, crypto mob. They've got that tech company that uh, have got this digital uh, things on their bag. So you can scan and sign into the Majestics uh, website and whatnot and, um, they've got the brand deal with the the apparel deal, so um, you know this is all stuff that's designed uh, to to be there for the longer term. I guess these companies don't want to invest for a six, seven, twelve months, you know, program. They have a longer term view. So, uh, you know, there's all the information that's still one side, other side, or you know. The, the, the document that says that the PGA Tour and the new co-foundation will have this uh, financial investigation or financial rights to be able to, you know, assess uh, live golf. But, you know, there's a commitment to team golf, so we'll see. And then you've got His Excellency and Greg Norman, you know, turning up and really supporting the uh, supporting the concept and supporting all the people, including the staff and including the players. So um, it does appear that uh, people people – supporting it and um, it will hopefully continue to grow. Still not everyone's cup of tea, but um, as you and I know, you, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy watching my 20, 30, 40 minutes an hour, um, you know, Friday night, a couple of hours on Saturday night, watch the uh, highlights on YouTube on uh, Monday morning. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, you caught up with Tom from Flushing It. His station uh, continues to grow after coming onto the My Love of Golf podcast. You know, I'm not sure if it was the first podcast, but it's probably one of the early ones he'd been on. He's taken off since then. Um, you know, he can thank me later, but uh, he certainly seems to have stepped up the gears in terms of his growing uh, media position. Did you bump into Tom at any case in, uh, in the weekend or two weekends? Yeah, so I've, I saw Tom uh, for the first time down in Spain. Uh, at Andalusia Master, uh, Live Golf. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just finding his feet. He, he's, yeah, he's not a trained journalist. He's just done this because he's had an opinion and everyone rightly or wrongly started following him for his opinion, um, either to bash it or to support it. And he's jumped in there with two feet and going really well. Um, he's, talking to the players, he's talking to other people and just trying to get a whole feel for where this thing's going. Uh, he's probably biased towards it, but, it, you know, just as a golf fanatic, a golf fan, he sees what it's doing and he just, you know, likes the fact, um, you know, like he's a golf fan of other, you know, the European Tour, the PGA Tour, but they're not coming out as much. Um, to, you know, bring in all those big names so he sees what Liv's doing and he enjoyed it. So I saw him in Spain and then I saw him again in London. And, uh, yeah, he was he was having fun. And he's he's got some big decisions himself for his own thing um, in the near future. So uh, it's going to be well, good to see he's what, certainly, where that all yeah, goes. 
he certainly escalated it from, you know, a Twitter account very quickly that, you know, just was putting out tweets. He's, the thing that I've said to other people that I admire about him is he's made it more than just a Twitter account. He's used that vehicle to, you know, push his message and, you know, obviously, as I said, probably rubbed many people up the wrong way, um, you know, as have many of the Twitter accounts that probably have attacked it differently to him and he's put his face out there now. And when he started interviewing people and then, um, you know, doing that very constructively and uh, but still, you know, with a focus on promoting the message of Liv, um, you know, he became, became real and uh, it somewhat validated, you know, him as another person who's just out there trying to have do what we're doing. You know, you've got 16,000 people looking at a YouTube account uh, on the rules of golf. Goodness gracious me, you know, I wouldn't have thought there were 16,000 people that would be interested in watching golf rules on a YouTube account, but there is. And um, that's that's quite a lot. You do it because you love golf. I do this. No one, There's no money here. You know, I'm not paying you. You're not paying me. There's no money. I do it because I love golf. And he's a bit the same. So good luck to him. Hey, um, it's a good time to be in the UK for golf. You know, you had live golf last weekend, you get the Scottish Open this weekend and then the uh, the Open uh, next weekend. Um, what a time to be uh, on tour uh, watching golf. I wish I was there. This time last year I was at, uh, at the Open. I'm getting ready for the Open, maybe playing at Loch Lomond. So I'm having a little bit of, uh, a bit of you know, holiday, holiday reminiscing sort of, yeah, just wishing I was still there, David. And... Um, you didn't think about staying on and going to do any of that sort of stuff? Uh, no, I didn't think about staying on helping out with any of that type of stuff, but uh, I was thinking about, um, you know, doing some sightseeing, but I just didn't didn't get it organised. I'm going back again to England and Scotland uh, at the end of August. Uh, we've got the international series on the Asian tour uh, first up, Close House in Newcastle. I was just going to say, hang on, Asian Tour being played in England and Scotland. Yes, that is correct. Um, uh, global, so sounds the like, International sounds like, Series like, wants to go all the... I was just going to say, sounds like it wants to be a global tour. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's backed by um, the PIF as well. Um, the international series. So um, we were we did go to England last year for the first time, and that certainly caused a bit of consternation amongst others. But uh, we're back there again, and hopefully um, we're not co-sanctioned with the European Tour. But that would be nice if uh, one day that was what uh, came about from it, um, you know, and then. It would be amazing to turn those international series into sort of a WGC thing where where the WGC actually stood for world and went around the world uh, rather than just stayed in one country. Oh, well, you've got a a few weeks to um, do what you do and keep punching out some uh, golf information uh, for the golf rules interested of the world, uh, and then you're back across there. Newcastle, we are, Boyle, we are, lad. Uh, this is not too far to travel up from Newcastle up to St Andrews at the Fairmont, um, so that'll be, that'll be good. You just jump on the train at Newcastle, go up to Edinburgh, maybe have a night in Edinburgh, uh, and then just get the train out to um, – you can't get the train directly to St Andrews. You have to sort of go to oh, maybe Cooper. 
huh? Cooper or Lucas, you go to Lucas or something like that and then get the bus across there. I'm sure they'll have VIP transport for you there, David. Don't worry. Hey, um, and you've also got another podcast that you started with Marcella. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just a real basic one. And at this stage, it's only seven episodes. Uh, we've released three so far. It's called Golf Rules School, and it's with uh, Marcella and myself. And uh, it's just real basic, a real basic handle of the rules of golf. And if you like it and you listen to it, um, you can start listening, you know, and, and then you think you want to get more down that rabbit hole, uh, then you can pop over and listen to Golf Rules questions. So uh, Golf Rules School is what it's called. So that's with Marcella Smith, who is uh, based in uh, the United States, and she's very, again, passionate uh, golfer, very passionate golf person, and loves uh, helping uh, women getting into the game understand the nuances of the rules and why the rules are so important, and things like pace to play and, and how to do that. So she does a wonderful thing um, over there, and uh, and she she loves you. She has had you on a team for uh, a number of years, so it's good that you're helping her with the podcast. I know she's tried to start her own one and then stopped that, but. Uh, yeah, you're helping her out and uh, taking the good podcast juju uh, with um, helping Marcella out. So, yeah, well done. Good job. Hey, mate, thanks for joining us. Oh, uh, I appreciate you. that deep dive into that uh, rules scenario. For anyone that does want to listen and learn a little bit more, well, there it all is. And uh, good job to the to the rules team for making a bit of golf history uh, in that decision. And hopefully uh, it does have some level of influence and impact on the professional game because, as I said, if we can keep the professionals playing on time and limit slow play to make the product better, you know what? It influences people playing the game every day, every week out there in club land. So we don't have to have those five hour rounds. And that's the, you know, that's the reason why we do this. And that's the reason why Blakey does it anyway. So mate, thanks very much. Um, go and have a, a sleep, um, have a wash, have a sleep, uh, get something to eat. Uh, you know, don't sleep too long. Try and get the circadian rhythm back into uh, an Aussie, Aussie mojo. I know it's hard. Um, I, I struggle with the jet lag coming that way. But uh, anyway, mate, good luck. If you want, do you want me to ring you at 7 a.m. in the morning and get you out of bed? No, that's fine. Okay. Uh, you look like you're falling. Five o'clock this up. Ring me at five o'clock this afternoon and just to make sure I haven't slept for three hours. Yeah, no, we maybe, maybe get a little kick. But anyway, hey, um, Blakey, good on you. Thanks for uh, joining us. I'll see you next time, mate. Eh? Sounds good. Thank you, Russ.